0: Sometimes you don't want to be finding out or healing with the world before you've, you know, worked it through with your partners or your family. And because I'm such a public figure, I was finding out things about myself after I had become famous.
1: Okay, so how to properly describe Janelle Monet. She is just one of the most impressive people in culture right now. Yes, she's a singer-songwriter, in 2018 she released the career-defining album Dirty Computer, she's an actor, she was in the Oscar-winning movie Moonlight. Janelle has become one of the most respected and revolutionary artists of our time, And I can think of no better person to help us kick off the first week of Pride, she joins us today to talk about her journey to becoming a queer icon, how the music she's making right now continues to evolve and challenge her, and then of course we talk about her brand new book, it's a collection of short stories, all science fiction, called The Memory Librarian. The book really is a warning for us all. It's set in the not-too-distant future where our memories are controlled, they can be erased, and as you'll hear, it's a reality that is not entirely implausible, not with the way the world increasingly looks today. So all of that is coming up. One thing we don't discuss, just a heads up, is Janelle's experience of gender. We recorded this just before she publicly came out as non-binary. So without further ado, I'm Jeffrey Masters and from the Advocate magazine in partnership with GLAAD, this is LGBTQ&A. What I found particularly interesting in the book is that it is set in the future, but this is not a future where queerness or gender nonconformity is the norm or even like broadly accepted. And I think that is the opposite of what we think or hope our future will look like. You know, if you had to give a prediction, is that the future where you think we are most likely heading, a place where these still are issues?
0: I think that in every generation, if we look throughout history and if we just kind of study history, right, it informs our future. I think that whenever you try to oppress marginalized groups that are the minority in that particular era, in that particular generation, there's always going to be rebellion. There's always going to be an uprising. Like we're not going to sit back and just allow our freedom to be snatched out of our hands. And I think that's what this project is about. It's about us prevailing in the face of this totalitarian society. This book, The Memory Librarian, one of the main points that's super important is about the threat of censorship, memory censorship, because as we know, memories are essentially our stories that we tell ourselves to survive. It represents the quality of life that we have based off the memories we make with the people we love or enemies. The Memory Librarian is a book that predicts a poten- a potential future where like the current, I guess, shit about <laughs> banning stories has amplified to something much worse. Even now, like in the United States, there's a censoring of books that can't be in high schools. If you mention the word gay, you know, you are reprimanded. Trans kids can't even live in peace. Their parents are going to be prosecuted in, in Texas and in certain areas of the world where they don't believe that we should have human rights. Right. So when you start censoring memories and trying to erase history and not talk about slavery and not when you try to erase the the evil that has happened, how can you have a better future if we can't learn from our past? If We have to know it. Right. We have to remember what happened, what happened to our great, great grandparents, what happened to the kids who, you know, just wanted to be themselves. So the characters in this book are fighting for the ability to be their true selves. It represents the past, the present and the future. It's a timeless story that you can look back and be like, throughout history, this level of memory erasing has tried to happen and it never worked.
1: (laughs) And I was pleasantly surprised in the book by the amount of queer love stories. The very first sex scene in the book is between two women, and one of them is trans. You know, why was that an important choice that you wanted to make?
0: It was super important that when elia Don Johnson and and and, and I, you know, collaborated on this story together, we wanted to make it our business to show love. You know, being a trans woman in America. It's always like treated as some sort of, hmm, how can I put this? There's always like, dun, da, da, da. But we wanted to just normalize what it means to be trans, what it means to be, you know, in love, what it means to live in this world where, you know, it's not a big deal to the person that loves this person. Like, I'm a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. It's super normal for me to have, you know, trans women as my friends to be attracted to. And this love story is just about love. Like <laughs> this is this is our community. You know, it's not a it's not a big deal. But it was it, I, I think that when Elia Don Johnson and, and I had worked on the story, we just thought, wow, when do you really get an opportunity to just see people existing for being themselves? You know?
1: And I think too it stood out to me because we have seen you know, so many representations of the future on screen. And we we don't see gender transgression, gender nonconformity trans people existing in the future. And that sends really subtle and like dangerous images, I think back to our community.
0: Yeah, you know, I think in the literary world, through TV, through film, music, you know, I'm always trying to represent the people that I, that I think are just beautiful and, and need highlighting. But most importantly, I think it was about the story, the story within itself. When you think about the memory librarian, this is a person who basically knows everybody's memories. Sichette knows everybody's memories. She even has access to her lover's memories. So how do you fall in love when you know everybody's secrets? That story right there is what I think is most important.
1: And so in the story, the memory librarian is a role that a person has in in this, in this the society you've created in the story. And one of my favorite lines about that is you said, we lived in a nation that asked us to forget in order to find wholeness, but memory of who we've been, of who we've been punished for being, was always the only map into tomorrow. And It stood out, obviously, as you said, like in our current time, like legislatures around the country are trying to ban discussions of race and sexuality in general. Like consistently throughout your work, you are talking about these issues. You are reminding people of it. Like, is there a way in which you view yourself as a memory librarian?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as I'm a storyteller, you know, I grew up writing short stories, sci-fi short stories. I grew up obviously writing music being involved as an actor in telling stories. So I think that my job is to be a fly on the wall. You know, I have a front row seat to history. I have a front row seat to what the future could look like. And I, I do as, as an artist have the potential to shape what the future could look like through my storytelling. So I understand the power of that. Just like, you know, people I admired and looked up to from Octavia Butler to Stevie Wonder to David Bowie to Isaac Asimov, like storytelling is what, what can determine our future and what keeps our history from being erased. We have to keep reminding people of things that have happened and keep reminding people of where we can go,
1: the potential that we have. And so to that, all of these challenging and necessary topics that you talk about, that you write about, that you sing about, How do you personally navigate that line of making a statement, but also not making it like overly didactic?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is, that's a great question. Balance in all things. You know, sometimes it's just like when you're cooking food, if you put too much salt in it, it's going to be too salty. If you put too much pepper in it, it's going to burn your mouth. You know, you just have to say, okay, where can I cut back? And that's when each artist basically is giving you a balance uh, of what they feel like you know, is the perfect amount of um, strings on an album or a perfect amount of, of, of runs or ad-libs. Um, and for me, as it pertains with just storytelling, I always try to make sure that there's beauty, there's hope, there's context, right? That there's context of even no matter how bad it was, you need to know where we came from. And it depends on the songs. And some songs I have that are just not heavy at all. You know, it's meant for you to dance, to make love, to fuck, to have a good time, to embrace your sensuality, to party with your friends. All all of it is important. You know, I I think that in, in the same way that I can protest against something, I should be able to love hard and to be seen as somebody who lived life celebrating and enjoying the moments that were right in front of me.
1: I mean, one of my favorite songs of yours is the collaboration with Miguel, "Primetime." That's like one of your biggest love songs, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a re- that was a really great song. You know, one of the things that I do and I I I try and do is go back and and as I start to like work on a new project, I'm like, what haven't I done? What what what's new? I never want to repeat. What I'm doing right now is just like I'm in a space where, you know, I'm not a new artist. To everybody, like to some people, I am a new artist, but for the most part, I've had an opportunity to grow and I've released projects and I kind of know, like, when I'm not feeling something the first time, I just don't need to do it. I don't need to talk about it because I'm not going to want to go on tour with it. Just let's stop it. Right. And so what I'm doing now is being super objective and creating from a space of just not having anything to prove. I think when you first came out. I'll speak for myself, like I felt like I had a lot to prove. Just a lot and a lot of internal pressure. And now I'm in a celebratory space this year. I'm being super present. I'm laughing more. I'm parting with my friends, parting with my friends more. Like I'm really more relaxed as an artist. And so I think that my music is probably going (laughs) to be, without giving too much away, less heady. And less about fighting against opposition. Not that I like, I'm not saying I, I can do that in other ways, but in terms of like what I wanna listen to when I'm out with friends, I wanna be able to curate that a little better than I have in the past.
1: Regarding your music, tell me if you think this is crazy, but on your 2013 album, Electric Lady, you had a song called Sally Ride. Mm. She is the first woman to go to space from America. She was also a lesbian who only came out in her obituary. Mm -hmm. And this is someone who clearly had an impact on you, like enough to write a song about. Yeah, I bring it up because that song came out before you came out publicly. And I worried or wondered, oh no, is Janelle Monet going to use that as an example for her own sexuality?
0: <laughs> well, I just wanted to say Sally Ride is an icon. And, you know, I think that who knows if she wanted to even come out in her obituary. Who knows what the behind-the-scenes conversations are? So who, are, who am I to say, we to say that she came out in her obituary. Maybe she didn't even want that. Maybe she was private. Maybe she wanted to keep that as as her own, between her and her partner. And I think that she has the right to do that. People have the right to not talk about their sexuality. For me, I knew that I needed to have the necessary conversations with my family, with my friends before I did something like that publicly. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes you don't want to be finding out or healing with the world before you've, you know, worked it through with your partners or just like your family. And I think because I'm such a public figure, I was finding out things about myself after I had become famous.
1: Did you then feel rushed by the public to declare sexuality?
0: No, nobody tells me what to do. I mean, my, I, knew, I knew that this was the time for me. I'd already talked to, you know, the necessary folks and I was at peace. I knew what I wanted to say. I'm still a super private person. I have no interest in releasing who I'm dating or not dating. That's not important. But what I did feel was important that that representation of what it meant to live in your truth, regardless of friends or family supporting it, regardless of, you know, people, you know, having opinions like it. It was really more so for me. It was like, I need to say this out loud. Like, I need to, I need to, like, yeah, I need, I need, I need to say this. This is therapy for me. This was a cathartic experience. And I know that I'm not the only one. So that album represented community like myself that, you know, if their own upbringing or their church didn't take them in, then I would, we would. This is our church. This is our community. This is where we can feel safe. Yeah.
1: So it sounds like, you know, you came out publicly in 2018. It sounds like you were not simply keeping this thing private. You were keeping it private because you were like still figuring it out up until that point, and, like checking off the boxes personally of in your personal life. Am I getting that correctly?
0: No. No, 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 no. I mean, there the thing is, I don't feel I don't I don't actually feel like 2019 was my like I've had songs like Queen where I I just didn't make it a big thing. You know what I'm saying? Meaning Like when I came out with Queen, it was always in my lyrics for my first album. You know, I just didn't feel a need to go do an interview. But I knew when I was releasing Dirty Computer, the emotion picture, I was like, oh, this is so much honesty (laughs) in this project that I'm going to have to just figure out like on the front end what I want to talk about and what I don't. And I just felt more comfortable with diving deeper into what it meant to be queer, what it meant to also have community that you wanted to feel seen and be heard. So there's a lot of vulnerability. It wasn't easy because I'm a super private person. But if you look back, if you look at my first album, my second album, I always talked about my attraction to who whatever I'm attracted to. Like I've always done it, I think I think this though, this project was more declarative. Yeah.
1: I will say though, in your first album or second album, one of the love interests in hindsight, I believe her name is Mary. You think about a woman named Mary?
0: yeah is that in queen probably in queen yeah
1: and also maybe in like the, some of the the end of like sally ride there's a mary character i bring that up because to you i think it's like you're singing about a woman a love interest but to me i was like oh janelle monét grew up baptist and this is like the virgin mary
0: <laughs> oh wow that's deep Ooh, me and the virgin mary that's that's kind of sexy i'm into it <laughs> i'm into it
1: when you did come out though as pansexual Merriam-Webster Dictionary said that pansexual was the most searched word of the day, and then Google came out and said that in the top five Google searches for the day, three of them were pansexual, pansexual definition, and Janelle Monae. Are those searches and numbers things that you had heard before?
0: I did. Yeah, it was trending for a while. I even had people calling me like, what is a pansexual? I Okay, I think I might be pansexual. Like the conversations that we were having, even people thinking that I literally like slept with pans and pots in my kitchen. I was like, what kind of, oh my goodness. But it was great that people were learning, you know? And I didn't need to say, like they should be looking it up for themselves. (laughs) Well, and that is
1: powerful, that kind of effect. And I just wonder, did that change how you thought about your position and like the power you can wield?
0: I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself because I I know with like, you know, we're still living, we're growing. And I have the right, like once I find out new things about myself and discover what I'm into, what I'm not, I have the power to say what that is or not say what that is. So I don't even put pressure when it comes to like my personal identity and how I identify. I think that it's different for each person and, and one should not feel pressured to declare anything or not to, to declare anything. It's kind of like a feeling, you know? It's a feeling that you just get and know.
1: I mean, I have to wonder, looking at your trajectory, your first EP came out in 2007. Did you even think it would have been an option in your career to be out at that time?
0: In 2007? I think I was still discovering a lot about myself during that time, you know? I think like any, any person... You know, you have phases where you're just still you're discovering like who you are. You're coming into coming into your own. And I think that for me, I always wherever I am in my life, it's going to seep through in my music and it's going to inform the things I want to talk about or not talk about. So
1: Did, did coming out change your music to you or like your writing process? Like, do you feel like it like opened things up for you?
0: I feel. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I like to say coming in like I invited graciously people to a part of my life and who I was. I didn't need to be accepted. I didn't need to feel supported even. I was already good with that. And I invited everybody in to where I was at that time. And I think when I look at other artists who have been so bold to do that, like I'm thankful for it because it's not, again, because people start saying, well, they declared this. So now... They must be this for the rest of their lives. And rep, people start to project onto people, you know, and they put that pressure on them. Like, damn, I said this in 2018. So now it's 2022. I feel differently. I might, you know, feel another way. About, but but it's just like, so you just have to, like, not play into that. But there's debt. Just with growth, you just feel more free. Like, I think that people can look back and be like, oh, from when I first started doing this to now, you know, most people they don't care what they say at this point. <laughs> I'm so good with not trying to fit in or be loved by the outside world. Like, I'm so good with my friends and my family and who I am that it just, it doesn't, none of that matters. What about your yourself? Like, where, where are you from again?
1: I'm from North Carolina.
0: Oh, wow. So, ooh, Okay. I love nor- the North, North Carolinian trees and grasslands, but... When it comes to the LGBTQIA plus communities, it's a pretty conservative place, right?
1: You know, I think that, like, the executives in charge are more anti-queer than the actual people. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, a weird conflict there. Yeah. But I think that, like, a fascinating part of the queer experience now is that, like, you can live in New York and be out and trans and, like, have the world for you. And you could live in North Carolina and have a drastically different experience. So I think about that all the time.
0: Yeah. So what was your, what was your own, you know, journey with like talking to friends and family? Like when did that happen for you when you were out or,
1: or you brought people in? Yeah. Um, you know, you were so lovely and generous to ask, but we have like two minutes left and I know people want to hear more from you. Oh,
0: okay. Well, Hey, I'm just having, trying to have a conversation. so. I didn't want to be talking about me all the time. No,
1: I agree. Thank you. I I appreciate that. But I made a promise to your publicist and they will literally never talk to me again if we go over.
0: (laughs) No, you're good.
1: Okay, that's so nice. So before we go, you mentioned this new album you're working on. And I have to ask if you have a timeline in mind for when it will come out.
0: In my heart, according to my soul clock.
1: So let's say not 2022.
0: (laughs) I said according to my soul clock. My soul could say ah, we are ready. Who knows? But I'm in such a good space. It's going to be fun. I'm excited.
1: Amazing. I'm excited too. And I know everyone listening is also, thank you so much for making time for this.
0: Oh, thank you. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for reading, you know, parts of the book. And I just hope that this is another form of inspiration for our community to continue to walk in your truth and know that you have support, know that you have people continuing to tell stories that will free the next generation of Kids who, like ourselves, just want to exist the way that we want to exist.
1: And that was Janelle Monae. Her new book, The Memory Librarian, is out now. And then next week we're back with a politician who, when she was first elected, she made history as the very first out trans person ever elected to a state legislature in the United States. Cisgender women tend to be sexualized Transgender women tend to be fetishized. If we don't fall into sorted, you know, certain like aesthetics that people are looking for, the harshness of return and absolute vulgarity that we get back. I mean, it's relentless. It's every day. Just people saying really awful stuff based on aesthetics. I knew that if I didn't look my absolute best, it was going to just be a torrent of hate and that that hate could then influence the narrative about my race and about my candidacy and everything. And that, of course, is the amazing Danica Rome from Virginia. That full interview with her will be available next week. And until then, please help us out by doing a small favor, and that is to help us spread the word about our show. Send a tweet, post an Insta story, text your friends, maybe an email. All those things are really the number one way you can help our show continue to grow and continue making new episodes. So if you do that, come tag us. We are on social media at LGBTQPod. I'm on there at Jeff Masters 1. We're brought to you by the Advocate magazine in partnership with Glad. I'm Jeffrey Masters. I will see you next week with Danica Rome. Bye.